Well, again, good morning. I'm going to need my Bible for this next part. <laughs> I'm useless without my Bible in more ways than one. Everybody excited to be at church today? All right. I'm not sure you're as excited as Pastor Matt and Pastor Katie because I think they're probably staring at a beach right now somewhere in Florida while the rest of us have to do all the work, right? I don't know what kind of deal that is, but let's get into the word this morning. Have you ever thought about what God thinks? Like really, have you ever thought about what God thinks about what's going on? In his world, how things are operating in his world. You ever think about what God thinks about you and how you're operating in this world? And you ever think about what God thinks about all of these things that he's given you and what we've done with those things? These are kind of lofty questions, aren't they? And it kind of does make you, at least for me, it makes me step back and think, man, am I doing things right? Am I really living the way God's called me to live? Right? We've all asked that question before, right? Boy, I wonder what God is thinking of me and how I'm living and how I'm acting and how I'm operating. I mean, I wish I knew what God was thinking right now. I wish I knew what God wanted me to do right now. You know those WWJD bracelets, they've been around forever, right? Most of you know what we're talk- I'm talking about, right? WWJD, and I think it's what would Jesus do? And I think sometimes people wear that, and that's you, I'm not talking about you, but sometimes people wear that as more like a fashion statement. It kind of goes with my outfit, or it's kind of what the cool kids are doing now. And although we have that, what would Jesus do bracelet on our wrist, it doesn't really do us any good. Because when we get in a time where we need to think about what would Jesus do, we kind of do what we want anyway, or what's convenient. But this morning, I want to talk about some of these things. This morning, I want to talk about the ways of God. The title of my message this morning is, The Ways of God. Because believe it or not, God does have a way of doing things. He has a way of doing things. It's specific. There's a specific way he wants things done. There's a specific way he wants us to act. God is not a God of chaos or stress or anxiety or fear. God is a God of order. God is a God of systems. God is a God of processes, structure. If you don't believe me, he created the solar system. It's what our galaxy, it's a solar system. It's a system. Your body is very systematic. It's very orderly. Your body runs on a circulatory system. Your heart pumps based on systems that God has designed. Do you understand it all? No. But God has a way of doing things. And we need to understand God's ways. You know, so many times now, and this is actually a a, a great thing, 
a great thing, but it's secondary to God's ways. But so many times now, everyone is into self-help, right? I, I need to know who I am. And again, other than God's ways, probably the, the second most important thing you need to figure out is who you are, why you exist, and how you're going to get to where God's, God's trying to get you. But we take, we take all of these things and say, I have to figure out who I am. We take all these personality tests. We take all these productivity tests. We take all these spiritual gifts tests. We take these, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of tests, right? I mean, you, you throw one out there and it's out there. We got, you know, the five love languages, right? There's, right? My, my wife wanted me to read five love languages years ago. And I'm like, I'm not reading it because I know you're all five. <laughs> I don't have to figure it out. But we take all these tests to figure out who we are and how we operate. And again, listen carefully. I'm saying that is important. But it's way more important for our lives if I know how God operates. I need to understand how God operates before I can figure out how I operate. Because I'm created by the King of Kings. I'm created by the Lord of Lords. I'm created by Him. He knows everything about me. It all, it all starts and ends with my relationship with him. It's one thing to know how you work. It's an entirely another thing to know how God works. And I'll give you probably a common example that happens to all of us. It's in our prayer time. Because we pray for things. We pray to God. We pray for things. And then it doesn't happen. And then what happens? We get disappointed. We think God isn't listening. But many times, we're asking God for things that he simply cannot do because that's not the way he works. And what happens as Christians, we get dis disappointed that he's not answering, and then we just think to ourselves, you know what, I didn't get what I was praying. I didn't get that because I wasn't praying hard enough. I wasn't praying long enough. I wasn't praying at a certain time. I said that prayer outside of my prayer room. But what happens is we're asking God for things that he simply cannot do because that is just not the way he works. We have misconceptions about God. Some of us think that it's like this genie in a bottle thing, that we just ask God and he gives it to us. Or maybe another misconception is, hey, God is God. I believe he's king of kings and lord of lords, and he reigns over all, and he does all. But he's sitting up there on his throne, and he doesn't really interfere or intervene in my life. And that's a, that's a scary place to be, because we have a father up in heaven that not only does he want to intervene in our lives, he's going to intervene in our lives. And prayer, prayer isn't an exercise to change God's mind. Prayer is an exercise for God to change your mind. That's what prayer is. Prayer is getting us aligned with God's ways and knowing what they are. God has his ways. Just like any organization has their ways. Any church has their ways. I talked about our growth tracks classes. That's the way we believe in church. That's the way we believe in Jesus. That's, that's our way. That's part of our culture. 
Your, your, your job, your employer has a culture, a way of doing things. Your family has a way of doing things. There are certain things you do in your family, and there are certain things you don't do in your family. The same with God. God has certain ways, certain structures, certain processes, certain steps, and they're always holy. God's ways are always holy. God knows what, God knows what he is doing, and his, has his ways that he is going to accomplish things. Think of it this way. God created the beginning, right? He, he knows the end. If he created the beginning and he knows the end, don't you think he's got something to say about the middle? But sometimes we say, and this again, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. We come to Christ and say, okay, I'm changed. I'm going to heaven. Game over. You, you can take that attitude, I guess, and it probably will work. But you're going to be here, hopefully, lots of years. You might as well walk in everything that God has for you while you're here. It's a lot more fun, right? It's a lot more productive. It's a lot more purposeful. God is always at work. There are no coincidences. You've heard somebody say, oh, this was a coincidence that this happened. Or this was luck. There are no coincidences. The only coincidence there is in your life is if God happens to choose to remain anonymous. It's still him working behind the scenes. So I have three points for you about God's ways. Number one, God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. Here's a secret. You will never have everything figured out. You will never have everything figured out. And part of this Christian life is knowing what our role is. And again, it's very simple. Here's our role in this life. God is God, and you are not. God is God, and you are not. That's the only way it works. It just doesn't work any other way. And some of these, the ways of God that I'm going to talk about are more at a 30,000-foot level. They just are what they are. And I say that because so many times we're trying to figure out so many minute details in, your li in our lives that, and you know what I'm talking about, your head is probably spinning. Your head's spinning right now trying to figure out what I'm talking about. And I understand there's certain personalities that like to try to figure everything out and what does this mean and what did that mean and what does this mean and why did that happen? You know what the answer to most of those questions are? I don't know. You know how many times somebody, probably even my family has asked me some sort of spiritual question and you know what my answer is? Here's my, here's my, <laughs> I saw that Pastor Brittany. <laughs> Here's my answer. I don't know. I don't have any idea. Now, fast forward 10, 15, 20 years later, I can probably look back at that situation and say, that's interesting. That's what God was doing at the time. But God has his ways. 
and he's going to do them. I, if you have your Bibles here this morning, you can turn to Isaiah 55, chapter 1. And we all want God's blessings, right? We all want this abundant life that the Bible promises. And I would make the argument this morning that Isaiah chapter 55, this is the invitation, the invitation to abundant life and how it works and how God's ways work. Chapter 1, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. God's abundant life is free. All through Scripture, you'll see that. God's abundant life is free. You can either have this abundant life God's way or the world's way. One way is free. One way is going to cost you something. Verse 2, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. Fast forward to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God. For, we, for he will abundantly pardon. When we are seeking God's ways... We have to be constantly discerning what's going on in our lives. Is this my way? Is this the world's way? Or is this God's way? And then once we discern the difference of what's worldly versus godly or what's unholy versus holy, then we have to emulate those things in our lives. Because many times we say, yep, I can see what God would probably do, and I can see the worldly way, and it looks really good. But I'm going to go to the worldly way because it's quick, it's easy, it's convenient, it's right in front of me. But when we seek the Lord and we understand his ways and we understand what they are, we have to emulate that in action out of faith and obedience in our lives. Verse 8, for my thoughts, and verse 8 and 9 are important, and you've heard this before, I'm sure. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent, which I sent it. His ways are always higher. Human ways, although you may be on track right now, but human ways will eventually fail and falter. How many times have you seen somebody, maybe do you know, or you've read about in a book or a magazine or seen on TV, that they might have been uber successful, and sooner or later, they fail and they falter because they're walking out their ways and not God's ways. He knows something about our lives. Is it always going to make sense? No. 
Most times it won't make sense. As a matter of fact, if it does make sense, it's probably your idea and not his idea. Think of it this way, according to his ways. Wherever you are right now, he has spent all of eternity, all of eternity, setting you up and putting you in position for wherever you are right now. You will never be unprepared for anything that he asks you to do. Now, at the same time, you will never be unprepared But there will also never be a situation that you're going to be asked to call, to walk out God's purposes, where you're going to think it's the perfect time. That's never going to happen either. You're always going to have to take a step of faith. And that's what a lot of this Christian life is. It's faith. Faith in action. Hey, it's easy. Boy, I believe in Isaiah 55. It's fun to read at church on a Sunday morning. It's easy to say, amen, I love that. I have faith for that. It's harder to walk that out on a Monday morning or a Tuesday afternoon. And we say, boy, I don't have faith. We have faith. You have faith all the time, all day long on trivial things. We just do. We have faith for things that we should never have faith for. I was, I was running the other day uh, near my house in a, in a truck uh, Pulled, it was one of those car transporters or whatever. I don't know if it's got a car. Has anybody heard of Carvana? You know what Carvana is? I'm pretty sure that's a website where you buy a car, but you've never seen the car it's on, right? So I, so I was running the other day in this, tr- this car transporter with a car, and it's all labeled Carvana. And for some reason, I thought to myself, man, that is so interesting. That, that, I can't remember what kind of car it was, but it was nice. So let's say it was a $30,000, $35,000 car. Somebody has just purchased a $35,000 car that they actually haven't ever seen. They've never been in. They've never driven. Now, you've seen the pictures, but, hey, I can show you a lot of pictures and sell you a lot of stuff that ain't what it's going to be. And I'm not sure. I'm sure Carvana's great. Don't get me wrong. Right? But somebody, people all the time do it. Thousands of people do it. They buy a car they've never seen in person. They've never touched. They've never driven. But they have faith somehow that that car is going to be perfect. But you can't believe what's in this book that's been proven for thousands of years. And I know in your Carvana example, there's somebody saying, yeah, but they have reviews. (laughs) You're laughing because you've done it, right? Reviews are a big deal nowadays, right? So they're saying, I could buy that car because I have a review. So wait a minute. You've read a review from a person you do not know, you have never seen, you will probably never meet, you don't even know what he or she looks like, yet you're going to believe them word for word. You have faith for that, right? Sometimes we live our lives like that. And I get it. It's a silly, stupid example. But we as people, we act like that all the time, right? You see, I'm going to buy that thing. There was a review. 
Some guy in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, said he used it. It, it, it just did wonders. It cleaned whatever. Yet this, we won't believe this. I'll believe it if you give me a sign, and I'm going to need another sign to back up that sign. We have to have faith in the Almighty. Point number two, God's ways and his wisdom contrast with man's ways and wisdom. I know that's a mouthful. God's ways and his wisdom contrast with man's ways and wisdom. Easy example. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Who wants to be last? Right? That, that, make, that, that makes no sense to the human mind. But that's the way God's ways work. That's the way God's plan work. For my finances... Wait a minute, you're trying to tell me that for my finances, I'm supposed to just give 10% of it away? That's ridiculous. You know what I can buy for 10% of what comes in? That's what the world's saying. But what God's word says is, you keep the 90. You give me the 10, and you'd be amazed and what happens? See, everything is different God's ways. Success, achievement, purposes, accomplishments, peace, happiness, they all have a different definition in the world than they do of God's definition. But remember, all of heaven's resources, all of heaven's resources are in play for your life. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. <clears throat> For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has, God not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Jumping down to verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Hey, there is a conflict that exists between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. You don't have to read your Bible very long or walk in this world very long to understand that they are many times polar opposites. Polar opposites. But again, are we going to do things the world's way or God's way? And God works his best works when he's doing things in polar opposite direction of the way the world is. That's when he works best. Because everything we do is not for our glory. It's not for human glory. It's for his glory. We aren't the star of this show. He's the star of this show. And we always like, as people, like we're, we're drawn to, I don't know, big, flashy, loud things. But there's a great story in the book of Judges, the story of Gideon, where God uses the small things 
to accomplish big purposes. How many people like small things to accomplish big purposes? I hope you do because we're small things. We're small things. But God has called us for specific purposes, and we need to walk out those ways. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, God uses Gideon to defeat the enemy as the Israelites are getting pummeled. And he uses Gideon to deliver them. And Gideon was not just this strong, mighty warrior. Gideon was the weakest kid in the weakest family. And the Bible says he started out as a timid ruler. He was probably an introvert, probably keeping to himself. But here's what the Bible says in chapter 6, verse 12. And this is where I'm going to pick it up in the story where God is calling Gideon. And it's interesting how Gideon responds to the Lord. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Angel comes to you and says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Man, that's motivating. That's inspiring. That's encouraging. Here's what Gideon says. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Because his people were getting pummeled. And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. That sounds like us, right? We're praying to God. God, where are you? You're the God of all these miracles, you say. But, but I don't see anything. I don't see these miracles. Nothing's happened in my life. Yeah, you say I'm a mighty man of valor, but could you help me out and back that up a little bit? 14. Then the Lord God turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, this is Gideon's response, Oh, my Lord, How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord responds, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. This banter back and forth probably sounds similar to like conversations we've had with God, right? Calling us to do something. Yeah, that's great, but where are your miracles? I've stepped out and nothing's happened. I'm the weakest man in the weakest family. Use somebody else. And God just says, no, I chose you. And I chose you alone. So Gideon finally listens, and he amasses this army of people. He probably does some great leadership skills, and he's he's motivating and inspiring. And he gets to 32,000 people. He has 32,000 troops. Now, mind you, the enemy had 120,000 troops. But Gideon, following God, working in God's way, said, you know, I can, I can, I can defeat that big army with 32,000 because I'm going to walk in God's ways. And surely, the God of miracles, God is going to intervene in my situation and help. And like in all situations in your life, God does intervene in Gideon's situation. And here's how he intervenes. He's going to use his way, not Gideon's way. Verse 7, chapter 1, then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, 
rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord God said to Gideon, and again, it's 32,000 versus 120,000. If you're keeping score, that's a disadvantage. So Gideon is waiting for God to respond. Here's how God responds. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites in their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. He's basically saying, that 32 is way too many. Here's what you need to do. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. So he has to go to all those 30 and say, hey, whoever's afraid, who's ever scared, it's time, you raise your hand, it's time for you to go home. 22,000 people raised their hand. 22,000 people raised their hand and say, I tap out. I'm going home. Thanks for the offer. I'll take it. So he's left with 10,000. So the 22,000 go home, verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, now he's got 10,000. The Lord says, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the, it gets better, it gets better. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. God's tactics are always interesting and they never make sense. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the people go, every man to his place. Now, I have no idea how drinking water is a requirement in God's plan. But it, God's, God's ways are as God's ways. So Gideon is left with 300, and he defeats the enemy. It's another miraculous story, but 300 people. He did it God's way. And many times we back out because we don't have enough. <clears throat> Pick somebody else. I don't have enough troops. I don't have whatever. A buddy of mine called me the other day, and this is a true story. He said, he said, you won't believe this. He's like, I'm at the corner of Clayton and Lindbergh. And if you know where Clayton and Lindbergh is, right by Plaza Frontenac, a high, high wealth area. And he says, you won't believe this. I'm at the corner of Clayton and Lindbergh. And a homeless guy comes up to me. And he says, it's just kind of my deal when a homeless person comes up. He says, I usually, I have, you know, two or three single dollar bills in my pocket. I'll always give them two or three dollars or whatever. He's like, I don't really want to give them 10 bucks to go buy alcohol or whatever. Here's a, here's a couple bucks to get something to eat or whatever. So, so he says, so he says, I, guy comes over. I roll down my window and I spread out the three dollars. So he sees it three dollars. It's three dollars. And the guy says, I don't take singles. 
That's what I said. I was laughing. My buddy's all upset. I start laughing. And I said, well, did you still give him the money? He says, I couldn't. He said, as soon as he said, I don't accept singles, he turned around and walked away. Now, here's a homeless. I guess this could tell you another thing, how much money this guy's making panhandling, but that's not my point. But here's a guy that we're going to have to take him at face value. He's homeless. He has nothing. He's hungry. And he turns down $3. Hey, if you come up to me after service and you give me $3, I'm taking it. You can give me a dollar and I'll take it. He's homeless. You have to assume he has nowhere to eat, nowhere, nowhere to stay, nowhere to eat, and he turns it down. Here's where I tell you this story. Many times, we as Christians act the same way. We might be spiritually homeless, spiritually hungry. Maybe we're in a little downtime, and we go to God, and we say, God, I need help or whatever it is. And in the context of the story, God always responds, right? He always responds in his way, not your way. And in the spiritual sense, sometimes every time we go to God, God always answers, and maybe he's saying, here's here's $3, or here's this small thing I want you to do. Here's this small task I want you to do. Here's this small thing I'm setting in front of you. And what do we do many times without realizing it? We say, no thanks. I don't do small things. No thanks. That $3 isn't enough. What if Gideon would have said, no thanks. You can have your 300 guys. I'm going to take the large army I have. See, we do these things. One way is a worldly way, and one way is God's way. God's ways always prevail. Your first step of faith may be $3 worth, but the resources that come behind and come along and come beside that small act are unlimited. Unlimited. Number three, point number three, and this should be our prayer and our motto all the time. Number three is, God, show me your ways. God, show me your ways. And I know from time to time we all get in, say, ruts of life, and we all have we feel like we're going in circles, right? We're circling the same mountain over and over and over again. We're dealing with the same issue over and over again. The same things are flooding our minds. But just like everybody else, we still have hopes and dreams and visions. And we want God to, to work through us. And we want God to call us to do things. And wouldn't it be great every day if you woke up and said, man, I know what God wants me to do today. Now, it's a journey. That's never really going to be possible. 
But what we can do every morning is we can say, God, show me your ways. Show me what to do today. Show me what to do right now. And we all wrestle with indecision and insecurity and fear and anxiety at some level. No one is immune to that. No one is immune to that. And King David, who is probably closer to God than anybody else, in Psalms 25.4, he says, and this is the New Living Translation, he says, show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. And David right here reveals this humble and teachable heart. God, show me your ways. I can see the worldly ways, and they look good. They look fun. They look exciting. But you know what? Good, fun, and exciting only last for a split second sometimes. But God's ways last a lifetime. God's ways last forever. When we walk in God's ways, we can, ha- we can walk with a full confidence, a full confidence and assurance that God will always direct us down the right path. God will always show us the right way. He may not show you the way for two weeks from now, two years from now, 20 years from now, but he'll show you the way for right now, in the moment. He'll show you that one small step. He might not show you one through a hundred, but he'll show you one, and then he'll show you another, and it'll be a series of small steps, a series of small steps walking out in faith, walking into God's ways. And whenever we get off course, God always puts us back on track. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you, what you think you're going to do this afternoon that might be unholy. I don't care. I mean, actually, I care, but God doesn't. I'd probably judge you. He's not going to. But guess what? You don't answer to me. You answer to him. Just like all these things I'm talking about this morning, all these things laid out in the Bible. If you have an issue with this, don't talk to me about it. Your issue's not with me. Your issue's with him. God has ways of doing things that simply, they just work. They worked 2,000 years ago. They'll work 2,000 years from now. They're going to work today. We're all the same in some level. In the fact that we are sons and daughters of the all-powerful living Christ. The God that we serve. And God leads those who unfailingly love and obey him. You guys can come up. And I would end by just saying this. If you are unsure about some of the things in your life and the way your life is headed, 
Don't wait another day to figure it out on your own. Get into this book. Develop relationships with Bible-believing Christians where together you can figure out what are God's ways? How does God work? What is God's plan? What is God's will? And then I can go after that. And if you know you're on the wrong path, congratulations. That, that, that's the first step. The very first step is understanding that, hey, you know what? My life is not heading in the right direction right now. It's never too late. I can always do, do something about it. But the first step is coming to grips with the truth of where we're at. Hey, the world, and this is, we get wrapped up in the world so many times, but here's the deal. The world, please listen to me on this one. The world does not hold your future. The world does not hold your future. There's not another human being alive that holds your future. And many times we look to friends, family members, spouses, the school, politicians, hey, even pastors. No one holds your future. There's not a person in this world that controls your destiny. God does. God does. And it's his ways that are going to work. And whatever you're facing, God has an answer. And I would ask you this question. What area of your life is lacking direction? What area of your life needs to maybe turn from the world's ways into God's ways? Is it your career? Is it your relationships? Is it your marriage? Is it your parenting? Is it your health? Is it your finances? Hey, we're all in the same boat. I, I, I'm not talking to just one person out here. I'm talking to everybody. We all have areas. Hey, I've got a laundry list of areas in my life that I need to, to either start or continue with God's ways for that area of my life. And I would encourage you, if, if one of those areas that I've just named, or you've, there's, there's hundreds of others, if you need to understand what God's ways are, open up your Bible. God's, God's Word has a lot to say about a lot of things. And you're never going to say, well, God just doesn't understand. No, no, God understands. But right now, you probably don't understand. And many times, you're never going to understand until you understand God and God's ways. Amen?